0: You are listening to The BU Podcast with Michael Arrington. We discuss social justice, childhood trauma, current events, hip-hop, and so much more. Now, here's your host, Michael Arrington. Yo, what's good? It's The BU Podcast with your man, Michael Arrington. I'm here, man. Um, today's guest is no other than the legendary man, the myth, the legend, uh, my guy, Master Ace, one of my, uh, childhood heroes, you know, it's what what I find fascinating in my travels in hip hop is that I've had the opportunity to meet a lot of my childhood heroes, man. I remember being 12, 13 years old, watching UMTV raps on Saturday with Fab Five Freddy and, not even dreaming of meeting those guys, just listening to the music and being in the culture and dancing and graffiti and, you know, and beatboxing and all that type of stuff, man. And it wasn't until I got to be about 1920 where I really felt like I could probably try to do it. But because of the Wake Up show, it was a show that was on 92.3 to Beat back in the um, the, the mid-90s. They had a thing called the 11 o'clock battles and it gave me an opportunity to kind of do my thing in front of not only the city, but the state. And then eventually they were broadcast all over the world. Many had simulcasts in different countries and and that that, kind of was kind of crazy. And then they also put out these like CDs of the the best freestyles. And um, I think I made three of the first four, but because of that, kind of highlighted gave me an opportunity to get record deals or get you know be in the limelight so to speak and and created a a little a good career for myself as an artist as an underground artist independent artist i was on an independent label called blackberry which turned into ill boogie later um for two records and then after that i kind of started my own thing and um the greatest impact has been me having an opportunity to meet some of my childhood heroes, man. So this this guest I have today, Master Ace, was one of my favorites growing up. And I had an opportunity to meet him at another podcast. I didn't know who he knew who I was. And so he knew who I was and stopped the show. And, and I kind of had a chance to meet him. Um, and we just sat and we talked, man. There's so many different um, stories and and things we'll get into on this show, but he's one of the most consistent hip-hop artists over the last 30 years, still working, still grinding, still doing his thing, but he's one of the most creative, I think, MCs of our time, and I don't think, you know, when people talk about the greatest MCs of all times, he's never mentioned in it, but for me, he's definitely one of the people that Kind of gave me my mojo, so to speak. I mean, just being creative, being conceptual, being lyrical, but also being an upstanding citizen. Never heard about any kind of scandals my man has ever been in, or, you know, that type of stuff, man. So, we're going to have a, a great show. But I've been afforded these opportunities in my career to meet some of my childhood idols, get to work with some of my childhood idols. I've been in rooms with the likes of Quincy Jones and, and Michael Jackson and George Clinton and just I've been in these rooms and been in these conversations. It is really, really dope to for me as one as a fan of hip hop and also as an artist to kind of have these people that were my childhood idols now be my contemporaries. And so today we're just going to get into some stories, man. I'm going to pick Master Ace's brain. Hopefully, we can get into a couple of stories maybe nobody knew of or really not that popular and see where this goes, man. I appreciate everybody's support to this point, man. Hopefully, you know, the criticism and feedback has worked and it's getting better. You guys are appreciating what I, the content that I'm bringing. It's only going to get better. It's only going to get bigger. But get into this interview with my man, Master Ace. Uh, it should be a good one, man. Everybody, you know, tune in, share, like, subscribe, all those types of things. Uh, and we're gonna get into it. So, your man Mike Arrington, BU Podcast. We'll be back with Master Ace in one minute, easy. You are listening to the BU Podcast with Michael Arrington. That's right, we're back, B.E. Podcast, man. I got my man, the, the, the legendary uh, Master Ace, man. What's good, my guy? What's happening with you, man? Uh, I can't complain, man. Um, The journey's been different for me down this path than it, it has been. I'm usually on the other side uh, of the questions. So uh, this has been a different journey, but, um, but I appreciate it uh, because... At first, for me, I'm a fan of music. So whenever I can talk to people who I respect and kind of have those those barbershop type talks with, with cats that kind of been through what I've been through, man, it makes it that much more organic and authentic. So first off, man, I want to start off by saying, man, first of all, how much of a fan I am of yours. Um, ever since I, I heard, you know, the capital A rap it'll stay. I've been a fan since that point. Um, but I met you, man. I remember meeting you at the Wake Wake the Flock Up uh podcast a couple years back, man. And and I walked it's been a in a few years. It's been a few years, yeah. And I walked in and you were like Mike Myers the rapper, and that like my 14-year-old self was was with noodles inside, man. So one, I appreciate the respect, but two, man, I've always been a, a fan of your your work, man. You you are the type of artist that kind of embodies what an artist really is in my opinion, man. So I want to give you your flowers now, man. I appreciate you, bro. I appreciate that. Thanks for saying that, man. Um it's been
1: it's been a great journey. Um it's been a very interesting journey and um I'm fortunate to got to have gotten 30
0: years in it and still be going. Yeah, no doubt, man. So like for me, I took I kind of took your your script And kind of was like, okay, he kind of does the thing the way I want to do it, right? I just want to be consistent. I want to stay working. I want to be authentic to my fans, man. And and I think you've always, you've embodied that with every project you put out, man. And so um, I want to respect you for that, man. But first off, man, for me, hip-hop is like my vent, man. It's been my therapy since I started doing this thing. Um, Is hip-hop a release for you or is it just, you just that creative? (laughs)
1: It's, it's a release, for sure. Um, I feel like since I was a kid, I've always been a writer at heart. I feel like since I was very young, I've always had this desire to um, create stories in my head and, and, then, and then write them down and share them with people. And so, for, like I said, from, from the time I was very young, I was doing that it wasn't necessarily in rhyme form to start, but I was always writing stories. So I, f- I feel like when I can think back to such a young age and still doing that, it makes me really feel like I was, I'm a writer at heart. It's what I was born to do.
0: Um, it's what I feel most comfortable doing. And it's what I enjoy doing the most. Yeah, no doubt. I, I'm the same way, man. I started writing short stories. I want to say about maybe fourth, fifth grade, and then from that it kind of turned into poems and then from that it turned into rhyme years later um i was a dj first so um i didn't think i was gonna be ever ever be a rapper (laughs) you know what i'm saying I i was i was a dj too and so uh general jeff uh rest in peace was one of the people that taught me how to how to um how to dj back way back in 86 85 86 so um so yeah, man, as an artist, man, the favorite part, my favorite part of the music is the recording and the writing part, man. Um, of course, I like to perform it too, but which is your favorite part or are all three good for you?
1: The recording is probably the least favorite for me just because it's just like a painstaking process of getting what you feel like is the right take, the right phrasing, the right, whatever it is, you know, recording is is work it feels like work um maybe because i'm a perfectionist and i can listen to the whole verse whole verse could be perfect but there's one word that i i say i say oh instead of instead of off or something something one one little thing one little letter off i'm like yo let's do the whole thing over so the recording is my least favorite but um writing is definitely one of the one of my most favorite things to do but certainly performing it has to be number one um because i love being up in front of the audience and getting that payoff uh all of the hard work in the studio to get that take right or to get that verse right or to change many times i have changed this rhyme people don't know they're just hearing the final the final version they don't know that it was you know that th- this first verse was four different versions of this first verse before i got feel comfortable with it so to see that payoff at the end and get on stage and um, perform songs that you've been working on for months and, and people just embracing it and and having a reaction that you kind of hoped that they would have when you were in the studio making it um, so definitely performing is number one for me and then writing
0: yeah for me it's um, it kind of plays in order like it it starts from a blank page to an idea idea turn into a verse a verse turns into a song and then the studio process, I love it because I'm at, I'm kind of at the helm of it. It's before anybody can critique it. You know what I'm saying? It's that, but it's also my most vulnerable too. And so Mm -hmm. by the time I get it to where I can perform it, I'm usually at that point when I'm finally at peace with it. But like you, man, I audition different, different rhymes and different beats, man. I might have a whole hard drive full of songs that on different beats it just the magic wasn't there. So uh, the process is painstaking though. Um, I am a little bit of a perfectionist too. I also produce. So uh, it's difficult for me to write to my own beats too. So um, I kind of got to write it and then audition the the, the verse to the beat. So I get that, man. But one of of my favorite songs that you did um, is on the uh, the Marco Polo joint, it's called Fight Song. Um, Mm Uh to give you some context of why I say it's my favorite is from listening to that song, I created I'm working on an EP right now to where it's seven different diagnoses. So because I'm in the mental health field as a therapist, um I'm doing a song about PTSD and anxiety and, and anorexia and Alzheimer's because my father has Alzheimer's. Um that sparked so each, each
1: each song is about one of those things, yeah. Each well, now- song.
0: Yeah, each song is, is seven songs. Each song is a uh, is a specific diagnosis, and I'm taking it from the diagnosis perspective, like what it does to the body, like what anxiety does to the brain, right? Mm. And and all of that spawned from fight song, from how you guys flipped the 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 disorder that you have, man. So let me know, man. First of all, how that song came about and how you got Pharaoh to come through like that. The, the song actually came about. It was a, it was a a suggestion.
1: Uh, the song idea was suggested by uh, a rapper named Paul Barman, MC Paul Barman. Um, some fans may remember my album Disposable Arts. Paul Paul plays my roommate on a skit on the album. Right, okay. And, and uh, he's like the, the goofy, nerdy white kid on right. that's my plant playing my roommate. And so he and I stayed in touch since way back then. Uh, we're still Matt Cool. Um, he's a family man now. I got two kids. It's crazy back then he was just a single single dude just running around trying to get trying to get on but years later um <clears throat> back probably around 2018 or 2017 we were on the phone and i was telling him i was working on an album with marco and uh he just out of nowhere was like yo you should do a song you know where um where you're battling ms like but but make it like a rap battle type thing right and know when he said it i was like i said yo that's a dope idea but i really don't know if i have a beat for that like i really like because i i knew what beats i had from marco that i was writing to and at the at the time i didn't think there was anything that really lended lent itself to that topic but i said if the right beat comes along i might i might consider it um i think the reason he suggested it was because he thought it was his way of trying to Poly politic to get on the album, I think he was thinking maybe he would be the the rapper that would play that role of 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 m s
0: right
1: but once we once I decided on the beat we had we had a beat, but it just wasn't structured right, so I had marco uh re rearrange it to, to the way I was hearing it in my head, and then I started to write to write the verses and um once I got my verse done, we said, okay. We got to think who who who's gonna really knock this out the park and play the role of Ms. on the song, and um, it really didn't take a lot of thinking. Um, Pharrell came to mind right away. Pharrell and, Mar- and Marco worked together already pretty heavily, so he had access to him, and so he sent it to him, and he was like, "I love it, I'm I, I'm on it," and he he, he went and did what Pharrell Marsh does, and, right. and then. I I didn't even have a hook. Like all I all I knew I wanted to do was say that verse, but I didn't have an idea for what the hook could be. Um and, and it's it's that way sometimes with certain songs where it's like, yo, I know what I want to rhyme about, but I don't know how to turn this into a song. And and right. Fowl was the one who really brought it home.
0: Yeah, I, I struggle with that all the time. Like I have ideas for topics, man, that just I don't know what voice to rap it from. And sometimes I gotta let the beat tell me how I'm supposed to rhyme to it. So yeah. um i think that's a lost art to be honest i think um uh, i think why i mess with with artists like you and pharaoh and black thought so heavy man there's a lot of i could tell there's a lot of thought that goes into each word each phrase each each punchline. you know what i'm saying and i think that's kind of what i miss about when i hear some of these new cats not all of them because some of them are really really talented but um I missed that. So, let me take you back to the to the mid 90s, man. I got into the I got into the business in about 94, 95 through the Wake Up Show, right, with uh, Texas okay. Sway or whatever. Yep. You were kind of already at the peak of the golden era, right? So, some people say the golden era was like 87 to 93, right? And so take me back to that era, man, and then juxtapose it to like this era. Like or not even this era, but like cuz I feel like it was too two waves of golden eras. It was like the golden era from 87 to 93, like people like yourself and, and the Jewish crew and all that. And then I came the second wave, which was like the raucous, dilated peoples, Jurassic five, you know, black thought, i mean, not black thought Uh, most deaf black star that era. So take me back to that golden peak, man. How was it for you then? And then versus how you've been so consistent since.
1: I feel like I'm a tweener. I'm kind of like right in between those two eras. Um, because I was still kind of trying to find myself and come into my own in that second wave that you described. I was still, I still hadn't put my stamp on the game, at least not from my point of view. Even though people had heard me on the symphony and they considered that I had a hip hop classic, um, I still hadn't really gotten my feet wet the way I wanted to. I was, I was, I was, uh, I was, I was being controlled by the music industry and the rules. The rules and parameters that revolve around being signed to a, a a label of major, even though I was on, you know, Delicious Vinyl, which was technically an independent, but they were controlled by uh, a major distributor. So I had to play by those rules, and so it wasn't until I got out of that. But to but to just to look at that era, um, there was just so much innovation going on at that time, from a, from a lyrical standpoint, from a sound uh, standpoint. You know, music was we were still discovering the what the possibilities of this hip-hop music could be what it could sound like There was still it was still pioneering going on right you know people don't people people think that the pioneering took place during the only took place during the Melly mel you know uh furious five the treacherous three um cold crush brothers days but nah that pioneering continued to happen all the way through the mid-90s into really into the early 2000s we were still finding new ways to express ourselves musically and st- and still to this day are um for sure. so, but there was a lot of pioneering during that time and um you know one thing about me uh i try to pay attention to what's happening around me i try to listen to other music that's coming out even if m- maybe I, I can't relate to it directly or specifically i still um find myself trying to hear as much music, new music as I can. And that's what fueled me. And that's what kept me um, what kept me consistent, what kept me engaged in this music is is continuing to be a fan of it and listen to it. Um, so when I started going on tour in 01, I was on I was on a road with, with Wordsworth and Punchline and Strickland. And those guys were all younger than me. And they to me had their had their hands on the pulse of what was happening musically in the early 2000s. And so because we were on tour together and on the road together, they would, you know, on those long van rides, you know, every day somebody new had an opportunity to play music for the van. So they were always playing stuff that I probably never would have heard. You know, who's that? Right. Or oh, who's that rhyme right there? Who's that? I, never heard, I, I don't recognize that voice. Or oh, that's such and such. Oh, okay, he's kind of dope. you play some more about him. And, and, and so, that was kind of the, you know, the, the, the training ground in a, in a certain sense for me, just in terms of just staying engaged and locked in with the sounds, the music, the evolution of the music. And that's why I didn't really get stuck in, you know, my first wave uh, in 1991. I didn't get stuck in that second wave in 95, 96. I continued to evolve with the music because I continued to listen to it. Um, so many of my peers, you know, my age or, or even older, they kind of get caught up in what they consider to be the golden sound and they can't hear anything beyond that and 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 to me that's a mistake um you got to always as a, as a creative person you got to always be willing to push the envelope i'm not saying start doing trap music or you know or drill music i'm saying be open to these new sounds these new possibilities these new ways of Laying hooks down or whatever it is, but just be paying attention, and I, that's what I've tried to do, and that's what's that's what's helped me get to this point.
0: Yeah, like for me, I feel like because I work with kids, I work with high school kids mostly, and okay. so I listen to what they listen to. A lot of it I can't stand, but I understand why they like it, though. You know what I'm saying? And so as a producer, right. when I'm producing stuff, and I do a lot of stuff for TV. I gotta stay with the times anyway. So my right. sounds are a little different. So yeah, I would love to just pull out a break beat and you know it and, and flip some dusty finger break beats or something like that. But you know, also things evolve. So I get I get what you're saying on that, man. And I know a lot of you know people that are considered pioneers in the game, they kind of stuck in their in their suit of what they you know what they've known for, and they stay in that box. And I think that limits their creativity because I, I know a lot of them still rhyme. You never really lose the art of rhyming. Really. You just, you kind of lose the, the, the fire for what's specifically hot now. You know what I'm saying? Like, I yeah. know it's stuff you could probably say from your 91 rhymes that you could say today over any beat. You know what I'm saying? It really wouldn't matter. You know what I'm saying? Just how you, how you phrase and you put stuff together. Let me take you back to the uh, Slaughterhouse record. I see it in the background. Um, when that record came out, it was really just before the whole East Coast, West Coast beef. Um, yep. For me, being a West Coast kid, I remember getting that record. I was in a record pool. I remember getting that record and was kind of blown away by just the creativity in it. Right. And so I thought it was real creative on your part to kind of play that role that you played, man. But take me back to that. And did, did you get any backlash for, for that from West Coast cats?
1: I didn't get any backlash. People, people brought it up to me years later. Like 20 years later, people would say to me, yeah, I thought you was kind of co- coming at the West Coast when you, when you did that album. And um, I was like, nah. Um, I, I just tried to explain it. I mean, I, I explained it in an interview, so I think that's why there was no backlash. Um, that was just a time period where, you know, NWA was huge at that time. They were selling the most records out of anybody, East, West, whatever. And the record labels, because I was kind of between labels when NWA came out. And the record labels, everybody was looking to sign what they considered to be gangster rap. Right. You know? And and so it, it started to feel to me like if you weren't rapping about these particular topics, guns, drugs murder, alcohol, weed. If those topics weren't at the top of your top of your um top of your your top of your subject list, labels were not interested. And so as an artist that was trying to get a new a new deal, a new situation, if I was frustrated. I was like, man, this is some bullshit. Like for sure. So (laughs) all y'all gonna all y'all gonna do is all y'all gonna do is sign a whole bunch of NWA sound Like that's what we're doing. Um and so it was more of a um it was more me speaking about the the, the, the uh the industry the, the the condition of the industry more than it was about you know a particular sound or a particular group um I just hated the fact that it had to be all about those negative things in order for you to get a deal in order for you to get a look to get a nod I'm like man there's all kinds of hip-hop out here like it ain't just about that, okay? Right. That's selling the most right now, but people rap about other stuff, and I just wasn't—I didn't feel like I was getting heard. I was being heard, and so it was my way of just, you know, kind of putting the middle finger up to the whole industry. And, and so that's that's how that's how I exercised my, my frustration through
0: that album. Yeah, no, I t- as a West Coast kid, I took it as that. I took it as. Um... Because that was, like I said, it was right around the time where I started rhyming, and so I was going to record labels at that time, and they were looking just for gangster rap, and at the time, you know, what I was doing wasn't wasn't gangster enough, right? right. And I was a West Coast kid, but I always got put into the East Coast bag. Everybody thought I was from the East Coast when my first record came out, which always confused me. I, th- I, th- I, th-
1: I, th- I thought you were. I didn't
0: know you from the West Coast. Yeah, it, 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 I got that a lot. A lot of people even thought I was from Boston, or I was from, you know, from somewhere in New York, and um, i thought i made that pretty clear on my album cover with the dodger jersey but um but i get it my most of my influence at east coast some of my favorite rappers man my influence is uh chill rob g yourself special mm. ed like chill I was, g, yo. Yeah, i was that kid so my cousin was from the bronx and he used to send me mr magic tapes all the time and so when I first heard Chill Rob G, man, I lost my mind. I wrote them rhymes down. I wanted to know how he did that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I would take it home. Chill, it. Chill,
1: chill Rob don't get mentioned enough.
0: Not enough. I think he's one of the unsung heroes of the double entendre. And just his cadence was always spectacular, man. So I was always in tune to that. And so I always got thrown into the East Coast bag, especially during the middle of the whole east coast west coast beef that's kind of when i started rhyming and um and so it went through that man but i appreciate your perspective on that man and just um how that went down man and the creativity behind it was also dope too with that record too uh, so for me man mental health is important to me um but i've noticed many artists man young and old aren't healthy mentally physically you know i see you man i, I remember seeing you at a show I think Revolution was your DJ it was in downtown L.A. at the airliner. And yeah. um, and I was like, this dude looked like he's like 25, 30 years old, man. I swear to God. You know what I'm saying? And so I always respected the fact that you you maintain a certain level of health. Um, how could we how could we promote that more in our culture? Great question. Um, first, it
1: has to come in the music. I, I got I got the shirt on today. Plant-Based, I don't know if you can see it, yeah, Plant-Based. And so um, one of the songs on the new album with me and Marco Polo, that's the title of the song, it's called Plant-Based. And um, so, you know, a lot of our communication as artists comes through the music. And so that's that's always the first step because the music has a huge influence on the people that listen to it, whether they want to admit it or not. And that, and that influence can either be negative or it can be positive. Um, and so I think it would start with the music. And I think, you know, um having um some community outreach kind of programs. Like I know in my own neighborhood where I grew up at Brownsville, Brooklyn, uh, which is one of the rougher parts of, of of New York City, um, I'm starting to see new new things popping up. Like in my in my actual housing project, at least the last time I was there, they there was this field in the middle of the projects called the big circle. That's where we used to always play the the pickup football games. Like the, that's what that's why, that's why I came up playing football was in the big circle. And they turned the big circle into a, into a community garden. Like place where I used to run around and play football in the dirt and dust is now a full fledged garden. I haven't been there in a few years, so I hope it's still up. But the last time I was out there, I, I was, I was blown away. I was like, wow, this is nice. Like, and so, those are the kinds of programs, though, that can help at least spark conversation about uh, within our community about health, health, wellness, um, eating right, um, and, and so you know, there's there's definitely mentions on the new album besides that one song. There's definitely some lyrics, some lines thrown in there about that topic specifically.
0: Yeah, I know. For me, man, I um, my cousin passed away of a heart attack. I want to say it was 2013. He was 47, and um, he was he was he was overweight at the time. Man, I believe I was 403 pounds. You know what I'm saying? I ain't a very tall dude, so it, it you know it was I was carrying a lot. I remember wow. from that point, man, 2014 to 2016, I want to say I lost 183 pounds. Right. So now that's, I got down about congratulations. Thank you, man. I got down to about 263. Um, I'm still working on it, man. It's tougher now than it was before. I'm not a spring chicken and I do I was an ex-athlete. So I do got a lot of knee injuries, ankle injuries, man. So um it's something that I'm working on, but it's definitely something that uh um I keep in mind as I get older, because it don't get no easier. Um No, it does not. And um even cutting back on some of the frivolous, you know, alcohol and all that, some of the other stuff, you know what I'm saying, is, 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 been, is been key too, especially as of late. You know what I'm saying? I know I did a lot of drinking. I didn't even notice it during the pandemic when it was locked down. i noticed I usually don't drink during the weekdays because it's work week. I usually take it for Friday, Saturday, don't drink on Sunday. And I noticed that started becoming every day is because I was home. You know what I'm saying? And right. so I had I had to knock some of that off. But I think it's important. You know I put some of like that in the music um, but that's why I'm doing the, the the project I'm doing as far as mental health is concerned man I'm talking touching on these different um diagnoses man because it's it's important that we realize um how important it is to, to be healthy both mentally and physically man so I appreciate your efforts man and I'll be checking you out man um I remember when you I'm about to ride I'm
1: about to ride my bike today
0: right this whole riding the bike I when I got a bike you know what I'm saying? Got my helmet. You know what I'm saying? I got a little trail we mm-hmm. roll. Got my kids on it now. I got young kids too, man. they nine and seven. So um, let me take you back to, uh, let me ask you this. So if you would have never rapped and you would have stayed in school, I know you would, You was in college when, you know, when you right around the time you started, what would you be doing if you wanted to rap?
1: Well, I graduated. Uh, I graduated in 88. And from from college and I had my degree in marketing and my goal at that time, it wasn't had nothing to do with music. My goal was to uh, get my resume together and I was going to go start taking job interviews. I wanted to work at an advertising agency. I wanted to be one of the people that wrote these Budweiser commercials, the hilarious Budweiser commercials you see on TV. And um, I was, I would have been full steam ahead by now. I probably would be an ad exec high higher level ad exec probably working um on ads for for the african american African American community but working on ads that are directed specifically at us for one of the big um Madison Avenue ad agencies that's 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 where I was headed.
0: Yeah that's dope. That's that's super dope. Um for me I'm doing what I thought I'd do to be honest. You know what I'm saying? I've I've always had a, a, a side career while I was doing music. Um and I was never really on a major label. I was always on independence, even though I did have a major deal with, with uh AM for about six months. And then they they shelved the whole black music department at the time. It was a label called Perspective Records and Young Z was signed to that. Um, I think um Mitch Condition was also on that label and they dropped right when I got signed, they dropped the whole label. But um, if you had a dream team of producers to work on one project, who would they be? Mm.
1: Uh dead or alive, too. Right. Okay. Um doc Dre, uh Premier uh, Q tip
0: and Dilla. Yeah, I could I can hear that in my head. I can hear you over a doc Dre beat and you would make it insane. It's how you how you put things together. Um do you had any um I'm sure I know I've had a few. Um, have you had any unusual encounters from people, actors, athletes that are fans of your music that you didn't think would be fans of your music? Oh wow. Uh I'm sure I have. Like for me, Wayne Brady was a was was one that caught me off guard. <laughs>
1: oh wow. Man, there's a few. I'm just trying to think like of the encounters. Um, I remember running into Shaq and this is when Shaq was on the Orlando Magic. Um, we were down in um, in Miami for the Super Bowl, and um, that was the year that the Niners played the uh, Charges. And we went to we went to one of the after parties. So this was, was like the whole Super Bowl weekend, and I I met Shaq outside the limousine, and he he knew he knew who I was. He actually said a line for my, and he ended up sampling one of my, my voice. For one of his one of his on his on one of his albums, um, I think it was his first album. A uh, line where I say I'm slamming like Shaquille, like he actually yeah. sampled that and used it in um, one of his songs.
0: Yeah, I remember. Um, that.
1: But you know, yeah, I met him, um, and and a few other Lando uh, Lando Magic that that day, um, Penny and um, Dennis Scott. I think his name was number three. Yeah, I met those I met those guys outside the hotel. Um, but Shaq was like one of the people that su- I was surprised knew who, knew my music. Um it's been others man it's, it's hard to think right now but that 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 one comes to mind
0: Yeah for sure man let me ask you this man if you had if you could have dinner with five people dead or alive man who would they be
1: Oh I got one more with the athletes uh BJ Armstrong who 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 who's who's a friend now um was familiar with my music and we 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 talk all the time but uh dinner with five people you said, that or a lot.
0: That or a lot.
1: Yeah, I would say Barack Obama. Um, Curtis Mayfield.
0: It's one of my favorite, if not my favorite artist.
1: Yeah. Um Mike Tyson. I'm just thinking about the conversation, so I'm trying to cover right. to cover all of the bases in my head of the different type of topics and things that I would want to talk about, and, and keeping it an interesting conversation. So those three, I would say Marvin Gaye, and the fifth one, I wanted to be a I wanted to be a woman, because I, I named all these men, Nina Simone.
0: Oh, that's dope. That's dope. She hardly ever gets mentioned when I when I ask this question, um, but I'm curious though. Marvin Gaye, I used to my, one of my attorneys used to be Desiree Gordy, and so Barry Gordy's daughter,
1: and she okay. has some
0: amazing Marvin Gaye stories, man. Like just some of the how he would approach recording. You know, she told me the whole laying down thing was a thing. Like he used to lay down and sing certain songs to get his voice to sound a certain way. She broke down the whole idea for him to do to hear my dear album which was I thought was dope in and of itself but Nina Simone though she don't get talked about enough I think just when you talk about great artists from a certain era she she yeah. rarely gets mentioned so I, I appreciate you mentioning her for that man and lastly man as a father and a husband I know for me personally going on tour usually takes a toll but I got younger kids so um when i was touring they were they were still babies and infants um do you feel that toll when you're on the road and you probably on the road way more than i i am so how does your family take that and how do you feel about it
1: my family is uh super supportive of my travels they understand that that's how the bills are paid um and so there's no i, I know there's 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 cats out there who or or maybe with women who don't understand the traveling thing, or they're worrying about what's happening when they're on the road and things like that. But I, I have a solid, uh, wife who, who understands the business. She was an artist at one, at one point too. So she, she knows what it is. She knows what it's about. Um, and we, we use it as a time to, to miss each other. And so, you know, when I'm when I'm home a long period of time like the last two years, I get road sick. I want to get back out there and, and hit the road and, and you know, I miss those shows and those interactions with the fans and those those sound checks and those performances. Um, but when I'm when I'm on the road, I get homesick and I'm I i want to get back home to my bed, my comfortable bed with, right. with a consistent shower and a consistent, you know, uh, schedule. So both things, um I look forward to both. Whenever whatever I'm doing more of, then I'm looking for looking to do the other thing.
0: Yeah, I remember um I toured heavy 2013, 14, 15. Um, I took 16 off. I did some things, I did a couple festivals in 17, um, uh, and then some things in nineteen. I was looking forward to doing a twenty year anniversary tour for my first record because it came out in two thousand, but uh COVID squashed that. And so little did I know that it would be another couple of years before things would open back up. So I am now at the point to where I'm road sick now. Like I miss that interaction. I miss Europe. Like it's, it's crazy. Um, yeah. so I, I miss that. I miss the interaction with the fans, man. I, I miss eating exotic cheeses in these weird hotels I'll be in, man. I miss all that. Um, but my wife is very understanding of, of the process um, she knows it's it's part of how we get things done it's part of how we get to go on vacation and and, and have the house we have and, and the luxuries that we get so I get it um I, I am super humbled when I get back home. no my kids could care less about a rhyme i wrote <laughs> it's about that's man, what I like though I like that me too man i think and then my you know my wife is not she's not in the music business uh, to be honest, she don't even really listen to rap like that, you know what I'm saying like she listens to whatever they were playing on the radio um I did tell her I was interviewing you today and she lost her shit and that never rarely happens. You know what I'm saying? She was like, Oh, so she's from, she's from, she listened to a little something. Man. Yeah. She listened to a little something. And um, I probably played beautiful out uh, when it came out. I played that until the CD skip. You know what I'm saying? So, um, dope, dope. I, I was, um, talk to me about the, 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 the EOG the OG, uh, project you did the, uh, the arts and entertainment. Like how'd that come about?
1: Uh, I, it was Edo's idea to do a project um, when he first came to me with it. I didn't, I wasn't excited about the idea. I was like, ah, I don't think nobody interested in that. Um, but then he came back to me a few months later and he said, yo, I found an investor that's willing to put up, you know, some money for us to get started on the album. And he's going to pay us X amount of money. And what we got to do is record 10 songs. So the money was real, and so I was like, "All right, well, they're gonna pay us to do ten songs. Let's do ten songs." So that started the process. Um, once we got to ten songs, there was supposed to be another payment that came in, and the investor um, ran out of money, or something happened, some kind of financial hardship happened, and he's he was like, "Yo, I can't, uh, I can't, I can't go forward with our deal." And at that point, we were sitting on about ten songs, and I said, "Well," I, these songs sound pretty good let's keep going and so that's how the album really came about we decided to keep to keep on going and we we you know found other producers because i think we were supposed to work with one one or two producers specifically for the album but then uh, we just kept the the songs that we liked from that deal that we liked we kept and then we started reaching out to other producers to contribute music and before you know we had album
0: yeah it turned out dope man Lil young got me got my attention and then um Just the other joints, man, the joint with, um, you know, the joints you had on there, man, I thought was dope. Um, Hey brother, I appreciate your time, man. Um, I can literally talk to you all day. I know you got things to do. I got things to do, man, but, um, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate the respect and giving me the time, man. Um, say what's up to your wife and family for me, man. Hey, keep doing what you do, man. I can't wait to hear this next record with Marco. Um, I was supposed to do some stuff with Marco years ago, man. Um, and for some reason, the timing didn't work itself out right. But um, never too late. It's never too late. You're right. Um, once I'm done with this project, man, uh, I want to run it past you just just to get your thoughts on it. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, I'm interested
1: to hear this because the the idea sounds really interesting. So I'm I'm curious to hear what you what you do with this.
0: With yeah, this I am. Uh, I'm a little perplexed. It's probably the the, the toughest project. I think I've ever done um, just because it's really tapping to a level of creativity that i never really branched out on. Like, you know, I'm tapping into what I went to school for. Plus my own issues. I struggle with depression and, you know, my father has Alzheimer's. So a lot of it is, is therapeutic in and of itself, man. So I appreciate right. you, man. Um, but I run it past you. Once it, once I get a couple done just to make sure, sure. I'm doing it right. You know what I'm saying? I get the, the stamp of approval, man. If I, if I'm doing it right, I'll continue. But I uh, appreciate sounds, the time, man. Good. I, and I'll be in touch, my brother. All right, man. Good talking to you. All right, likewise. Peace. You are listening to The BU Podcast with Michael Arrington. Yo, we're back. BU Podcast. Mike Arrington, man. Um, I want to give a big shout out to uh, Master Ace. Just. The fact that I can tap into that, tap, tap into him as a resource, is a is a major thing for me. As I mentioned, man, he was one of my childhood idols. I've been able to kind of watch him grow, not only as an artist, but as a man, as a businessman, um, as a family man, husband, father. I know things are important to me, but we talk about this music industry, right? And how you've heard, you know, or you'll hear through the course of this show, some of the ills of the music business and some of the, the, the negativity that it breeds. And it's not just from kids that are from the inner city. I think it's fame in general, right? I think nobody prepares you for the level of, attention that you get from fame. Right. And so once upon a time, you know, news was a day-to-day thing. And by, by that, I mean, you know, something happened today, it gets reported tonight and then it hits the newspaper in the morning and then it's news. Right. So a lot of people, a lot of artists, a lot of famous people, actors, athletes, whatever, were able to sort of kind of protect their identity, so to speak, through the just the level of how news was reported, right? So you can kind of hide a lot of things um, because the story was being told by one, two, maybe four different outlets, right? And so today, especially today, the, the news is is almost instantaneous. So if it happens now, you know about it now or you post it now or you you know and so the minute you post it, it gets you know people comment and then it goes viral if you especially if you have that level of fandom, you know what I'm saying So it's difficult for you know artists to be to maintain a certain level of decorum or composure. When they're constantly under the microscope. And so you add that to just being under the watchful eye of society and then society feeling like they have the right to display their opinion because they have a vehicle in what we call social media to be able to to judge and nitpick and dissect everything you do, say, and wear. It's difficult, right? So, when I look at my journey as an artist, you know, there was only a couple of vehicles to where I could launch that, right? And so, you heard me mention the Wake Up Show. So, the Wake Up Show was a show that was on 92.3 The Beat in LA um, back in the 90s. It was was a hip-hop show. It was with Sway, who everybody knows Sway from MTV and, you know, Sway from Sway in the Morning. Now, but um, back then, you know, he was you know, a mainstay in the underground. Not that he's not now, but um, he was a mainstay in, in in hip-hop culture. And the show, him and Tech and, and, you know, DJ Revolution were integral in getting people, launching people's careers, so to speak, myself included. But they played nothing but hip-hop. And it, the people they had on were hip-hop people. And these were people that were on the ascent to being great. Right, so one of the episodes I was on, Biggie was on, right, and so they had this thing called Eleven O'clock Battle, so they would let anybody from off the street come in and rhyme, you know, over a beat, you know, and you know you would go at it, and sometimes it would be battle, sometimes it would just be just people just trying to you know get exposure, and it was able to launch me to a certain level of of prestige. In the LA scene And then eventually You know Throughout the country and then eventually globally Because they were a simul, You know A simulcast And they were Playing in a different country So But If you Take that time To now To where Say I was on Sway in the morning And it was in, on video And Those Verses and times I was on the show And the people That I was on the show with That stuff would have Gone viral And I'd probably be way more successful or at least I'd be way more popular. And I'm not quite sure I would I would have been able to handle the the vitriol that comes from success. Right? And so I think a lot of times what celebrities fall into the trap of is they feel like they have to respond to every time Dick and Harry that has a response to one of their posts or one of their videos or what whatever the case may be. And so they get so caught up in feeling like they have to prove their point or make their point, you know, or defend their point or whatever the case may be. And that's very, very difficult to do. So you add all that level of attention and people being opinionated on top of whatever baggage you come into fame with and having money and being popular and being successful doesn't make you any less have any less mental health issues just because you have kind of the means to be like a lot of people think oh because I'm broke I don't have access to different resources so I have I can feel a certain kind of way or because I have money you have access to certain resources so you shouldn't be a certain kind of way but mental illness It shows no class, no race, you know, no gender. It is what it is. And so if you come into a level of popularity and you don't have those things in check, you will start to unravel or it'll start to unravel you because of the level and speed in which, And in the, the access that people will have to you if you're somebody that lives in the social media sphere, right? And so we often tell kids, like, you know, older people like myself, like, well, these kids are online, getting cyber bullied, why don't they log off? And it's not that easy for them. You know, they don't know what life was like before social media, most of these kids. So they live there right they live on instagram and tiktok and snapchat and twitch and whatever else discord and whatever platform that they use to communicate they live there so being away from it means you can't talk to friends you can't talk to the the circle of people you created around whatever social media Uh, Avenue you use so it's not easy to just walk away from it that's like walking away it's like not going to school right it's like because that's where everybody is at so in music in my particular genre hip-hop you have this level of of it's like a petri dish of diagnosis with people that come from these different parts of society now they're in the sphere of of trying to be popular and maintain a certain level of fame and that in and of itself is difficult. Then you add the baggage of mental health issues, man. And it becomes very, very, uh, contentious and people struggle, you know what I'm saying? And and one of the the things that I I wanted to do with this podcast is kind of one give people who have no idea of what hip hop culture is or what, you know, some of these things are, or even some of who, some of these guests I have on, uh, give them a different perspective of how the world is being seen through these different people from these different perspectives. Right. So, you know, you'll hear me have a therapist on or a self, uh, sex health therapist on, or have a music artist on, um, or have a school psychologist on, or have a chef on or whatever, just to give you different perspectives, of different content, of different issues that may or may not pertain to you, but knowledge is power. So the more, you know, the better you can do, you know what I'm saying? So what I try to do is give you prudent information for you to make prudent decisions. Um, And so, you know, having guests on such as Master Ace talking about, you know, how they use music as a vehicle to Vent or creativity to vent You know It's not to Use it as a weakness But use it as a strength And then hopefully This helps the next artist Become better And be as consistent as him And using him as a benchmark To get above Right And so For as great as As Michael Jordan was You know There wouldn't be You know Any Kobe's And any Iverson's and any lebron's if it wasn't for him so he used him as a vehicle or a benchmark to to look f- look up to to try to to try to reach and whether you agree or disagree you know he was that vehicle for a lot of kids and so because i am in the children field hopefully the messages that i portray or i i give out helps you become the benchmark for the people in your circle so um With that said, thank y'all for tuning in for another great show. Um, Again, shout out to Master Ace. Shout out to all those who've been downloading, subscribing, following, sharing, all that type of stuff. I appreciate it, man. This is the BU Podcast. Mike Arrington, I'll catch y'all on the next one. Easy. You are listening to the BU Podcast with Michael Arrington.